You're listening to Bits and Pieces on Sunrise Robot. I'm one of your hosts, Matt Duncan, out of Gelsenkirchen, Germany. And I'm your other host, Michael Edwards, out of Denver, Colorado. And we're thriving on the support of our listeners, so please check out sunriserobot.net slash support to see some ways you can help us out. Episode 26. We've changed a little something about our equipment here. We're going to come to that later on. Usually this is the point where we start with title, um, but we've now faced <laughs> this out until they do something really stupid, as we said last time. Um, so no probably title next news. week. <laughs> yeah, probably next week. Um, but no mandatory or obligatory title news from now on. But um, as it so happens, we always come across some snake oil in the internet and we are never going to phase out any <laughs> snake oil news. So what is about this Ethernet cable? Oh, man. So this looks like a little service provided by Ars Technica where they bought $340 audiophile Ethernet cables, um, which I always forget that Ethernet cables get used for all sorts of things and not just networking. Uh, well, I guess this is sort of networking still, but um, just before you go on, they've bought <laughs> what has it three hundred and forty dollars worth of yeah. cables, but these are just one pair of cables. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't like buy uh, like ten or twenty different cables from different brands for three hundred and forty dollars. No, these are two cables. Yeah. And so they partnered with the James Randi Educational Foundation, which they're famous for uh, trying to call people on their bullshit of like, you know, people who claim they're actual ma magicians, not like Penn and Teller or something, but people that say they're actually magical. They're like, all right, come and demonstrate in front of us in a repeatable blind test and we'll see if you can actually fly or whatever. Um, but apparently they're applying this to the snake oil industry too, which is a, a good service. Yeah. So, what is in these cables? They cut, um, they cut them open. <laughs> yeah, apparently there's some silver, and you know, silver is a, as we know from a previous cable is just magical in, in all sorts of ways. Um, that the the let me see the phrase here. Um, that uh, high frequency signals travel exclusively on the surface of the conductor. You know, whatever wow. that means. It's surfing the conductor instead None of, of this going through it. <laughs> None of this plebeian copper being a conductor, only silver. But now, wouldn't I want my sound to travel through the core of the cable where interferences are less likely to cause any damage or harm to the signal? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they they look nice. Um, they they kind of look like um, the, the guitar cable that I've got right here. This $15 guitar cable which has like this fabric on the on, on the outside and really feels nice but um, wasn't that expensive and does the job just as well they might as well just like go full in on the fashion like well here's silk cables just enjoy the soft silkiness i just want i just want pure gold cables i want them to be completely made out of gold and um, display them prominently when I like build up my set on stage. I want everything to be gold. And when people ask, like, "Oh, this this looks like gold," yes, it is gold. It is you pure a, gold. You're basically a James Bond villain. So yeah. <laughs> um, I do have a gig report. So uh, this whole weekend, um, the the UMS hits Denver. So it's the Underground Music Showcase, where uh, a couple hundred bands. Um, they take over this uh, area on South Broadway here in Denver. Um, there's like probably 15 or 20 venues and they just kind of 
book bands straight through. People just walk around, they take over the street. And uh, Smoke and Honey and Montropo are playing UMS. Well, Smoke and Honey already played UMS. And on Thursday night, we uh, played The Hornet. And so this show went very well. I have lots of happy things to say about it. Um, first of all, um, well, I'm not saying this is a happy thing, but the band before us <laughs> didn't show up. And oh. so we, we get there an hour early, and the, the sound guy was like, are you the band that's supposed to be on at 8? And we're like, no, we're on at 9. He's like, okay, well, we haven't heard from them. <laughs> so want to have a really long sound check? And I was like, yes. Want to like dial in everything so it sounds perfect. Um, so we got some extended time instead of the usual, you know, festival, like you get 10 minutes between acts to like kind of make it happen. Unless you're a headliner, then obviously you, you already sound checked earlier that day or something. But, um, so we, you know, we got to be comfortable. We weren't rushed. Um, and, uh, we played well. People were there. They were enthusiastic. Sarah did an amazing job talking to the crowd, um, you know, engaging with them. Uh, we played a couple cover songs too, which went over well. We did a, a Neil Young song <laughs> and uh, also uh, Elliot Smith's uh, Between the Bars. But the problem was with that Neil Young song, you practically streamed it through your brain and the medium <laughs> were your hands and, and the instruments. So yeah, it wasn't um, quite eight tracks. So, yeah. As long as it was lossless. <laughs> it was as lossless as possible. Well, it was coming out of speakers, so who knows. Um, there were, there were no silver Ethernet cables involved. So, not, you know, nothing bad to report. Usually I'm complaining about something, but this was nothing but fun. And uh, I hope that continues tonight as we record. It'll be in the past when people listen to this. Uh, Montropo plays at Gary Lee's Auto Club, this uh, restaurant venue. But um, it's usually pretty packed there at UMS, so I'm excited. Yeah. I hope I'm going to be able to hear or see something from that. Well, I'll ship you off like 700 gigs of video, and then I won't share it with Andres after you finish editing it. <laughs> As always. <laughs> so that's my gig report. And that's our first through and through positive gig report. I hope this yeah. continues. I hope we build up a streak of that. Uh, so next up, just, just a little thing I found here on the internet was a motherboard from... Let, let me quickly check when this was released back then. Um, there has been a motherboard with an audio stage made up of a tube amp. So there, there's a, we've got this in the show notes there, a picture of a good old motherboard. I was looking at this and thinking like, okay, there's nothing special. Oh, what the, <laughs> and then you see on the left, it's just a tube and it's <laughs> supposedly it was sold to audiophiles back then. I'm still trying to find out when, what year this was. Um, but as we all probably can guess that this wasn't really a success, um, especially if you consider that a tube usually runs on more power than what you usually have, like transistors. And um, so you can expect your, your computer to pull a lot more power just because you have a tube in there. Um, can you tell what Intel chip that says? This looks like late 90s or something. Yeah, must be, but nope, I can't tell. Um or the, even the type of RAM or something that could clue us in on this. Well, I've got the model now. It's uh, let, let me just Google for the model. Maybe we can... Let's do some live Googling. Everybody likes oh, that. Oh, Pentium 4. So that's got to be... Uh, oh, that's old, yeah. That's like 2000, 2001. Yeah. So if you really, really can't um, 
I mean, I, I was just thinking, if you really want to stream your YouTube videos in like a two, oh wait, YouTube videos didn't exist back then. Um, <laughs> what were you doing back then? Like MP3 wasn't that widespread. Um, I don't know if people were listening to CDs ripped to Wave or IVE on their computers back then. That like, why like, would why would you need that? I remember the first CD I ever burned. It was actually before the year 2000. It's like a hipster claim or something. Um, <laughs> I was burning CDs in the nineties. Um, that uh, it the the wave of our like me and my brother's album we made. We were in a band called Seasons, and uh, the wave took up the entire hard drive, the the, the master audio <laughs> file to burn it, and so. It was like, and we were burning off a laptop and like it would fail half the time and it was, it was an ugly time. So yeah, yeah, that's just a context of like, what would you be doing with this in that era? Yeah. And especially thinking about, um, like, even if you were producing audio back then, I mean, I wasn't, so I can't really tell that specifically, but I don't think um general purpose computers back then were they really strong enough to to compute music on the fly so would this actually be somebody who, th who thought okay i want this to 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 be like my 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 audio station my audio workstation could it be that this is the the purpose but even then what does the tube actually contribute there um Well, I was just trying to look up the history of Pro Tools because, like, you really needed dedicated hardware to be able to do digital music back then. Yeah. There was the general purpose wasn't going to cut it. Nowadays, you really just need software and your and a way to get your mics in, and you're good. Yeah. Usually, if you have a, a PC that can play the latest games, you can probably make music for a long time. Yeah. On so, in uh, streaming music news and in non Neil Young news. Um, Pandora's CEO decided to speak out on Apple Music um, with this quote, Apple Music has had no impact on our business. Um, so they're, they're coming from a place of confidence. Um, going forward, we feel really good about our trajectory and competitive position. There could be some listeners who experiment with the service and there could be some short-term impact, except there was no impact. Uh, but we don't. We aren't seeing any meaningful minister, listener impact at this time. We don't expect any long-term meaningful impact either. Um, may, and uh, this is an anecdotal, but I, d I don't know anyone who uses Pandora. And um, to me, it, it would always came down to stop playing that one artist. I don't want to hear them. Oh, I'm out of skips. Guess I'm going to quit this app. <laughs> and uh, I, I never found... I mean, I do find like radio mode and shuffling to be a nice discovery mode on some services, but something about Pandora just never worked for me. It would always pull up songs that I do not want to hear. And then if I dialed in my interest well enough, I wouldn't be discovering new stuff. I'd be like, yeah, I know this song. Yeah, I know that yeah. song. <laughs> so that's, you know, me yes. without any data shitting over their future. <laughs> so in the, in the last few weeks, I've seen a lot of people bashing Apple Music and the UI and just everything on there like there there's a core functionality that's supposed to be good but the rest is total shite so y you're actually using this um yeah. could you could you enlighten us a bit because I, to this day i mean i'm on android i haven't really delved into this at all yeah um well a flipping table or two ago i i dove deep into my frustrations with it um but uh Yeah, the ba like you can play songs, you can find songs, you can make playlists, but um, 
the interface is just a mess. There's 800 buttons and the ones you really want. So let's say here's a little use case. So it's not just, you know, abstract complaints about UI. Um, you're shuffling or some, you know, in some sort of radio discovery mode where you're, you're checking out new music and you hear a song that's interesting or that you like. And what do you naturally want to do? You probably want to go to the artist or the album page and check out other stuff. Guess what button doesn't exist unless you're on the That's desktop? Button. Yeah, there's no go to artist or go to album. And so you have to, you know, go and type in the search like an animal uh, to, to find what that artist does. And I just like, there's so many buttons. How do you not have those buttons? Like if we're just yeah. doing buttons, 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 then, you know, have some horrible drawer menu that has 700 options. But, yeah. you know... Spotify does that. Um, they let, let me just quickly try. Okay, you can long press. Now I've learned something. I was about to complain that on Spotify you only have those. What, what is it? Is this the shish kebab menu? The three little dots. <laughs> yeah. And um, but I just learned that you can just long press on it and get the same like add to playlist, add to queue, go to artist. Because I always miss those three little dots there and yeah. always get the... No, I didn't want to play the song now. I wanted to edit it to the queue. Same happens in the in the YouTube app. So maybe it's an Android problem in general. Maybe they, sh they should fix the, the hitbox yeah. of this shish kebab menu. I like the I, word. I think I counted on uh, the, the music, the now playing screen in Apple Music. There's like f at least 14 buttons. <laughs> and like, I don't know... <laughs> It's insane. It's it's just overwhelming. And uh, you know, maybe most users don't care cuz all they do is go play U2 and they're done and they they just whatever. I don't know. Um but I you know, I'm I'm doing the 3-month trial. I'm still using it because it's free, but you know, come the end of this, I may if I especially if I can get the student discount with my handy university email address, <laughs> I may go to $5 Spotify. Um, instead of Apple Music, but we'll just see how I'm feeling in a couple one months. One of us. One <laughs> of us. <laughs> Though I wouldn't be, be able to get my Taylor Swift on, which would be very sad. Uh, yeah. Well, we all got YouTube for that. <laughs> we all got Vivo videos with two-minute yeah. ads. Yeah, that. I don't because I got the game on my side. <laughs> so coming up... Coming up next, um, we've got this Battles documentary. So Ableton shot a documentary, um, the process of Battles recording their latest album, which I actually heard from... The, so I was watching this documentary, which kind of told me that, oh, they are actually producing a new album right now, not just touring with new songs. And um, obviously some parts of the documentary are kind of like, hey, look at the cool stuff you can do with Ableton and with Push. But if you look past that, it's a really interesting documentary. Not um, not only if you are a fan of battles like I am, um, there are some, some really generally interesting thoughts presented in that documentary. Um, did you get a chance to watch that before the show? No, I did not. <laughs> All right, then let me tell you <laughs> about <me> the out. <laughs> interesting bullet points that, that are really general. I mean, really watch that documentary. Even if you're not really into their sound, just the way they, they um, approach certain things and the recording process and the composing process is really interesting. Um, so, so in general, I really like it. I feel, find it interesting to see huge bands, like successful bands which produce, uh, who produce really complex stuff, how they are rehearsing, not, not just, okay, now we're sitting in the studio, we're just playing down what we imagined before that, but like discussing what part comes next. And 
and you see that yeah that they're also just the the musicians that we are well, then we are in a rehearsal space and talking about yeah let play this part this goes do 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 and everybody knows what you're talking about uh it's it's always nice to it gives us a, a little touch of humanity to to those people who you usually just hear through through your speakers um but i've 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 noted down some some interesting quotes from the documentary here which as i think are generally interesting not just for battles so um drummer john stanner here said looping is the backbone of the band as the drummer i can't even imagine not playing to a loop anymore it allows me to be more melodic maybe allows me to just relax and and it's freeing for me as a musician so what's what's uh what strikes me there is that Usually when you think of loop-based music, you're, think you're thinking of this rigid structure, this, this thing that's just repeating and it like, you get the same pattern for eight times and then something minute in there changes and like, usually loop-based music is that, just that, loops. But him being the drummer and usually like, if you're the drummer of a band, you usually be playing the same stuff for her, the same phrase for the whole verse and then another one for the chorus except for a few fills here and there. So that's the, yeah. the the regular approach where you probably start, even if you throw in a little more in between. Yeah, this seems so, to be kind of a prevailing paradox in all the arts I've discovered is limitations are liberating. And yeah. the easiest example I can think of is really strict forms of poetry that have very you know well-defined meter and rhythm and exact you know even haikus people do amazing creative work within the constraints of the haiku yeah. and uh so it's sort of like oh that's counterintuitive but actually i i have seen this lesson applied elsewhere yeah I, i found it interesting that that especially the drummer who's who's likely the first person to play the same thing anyway throughout the whole song is the one that says that the loops are giving him more freedom that that was kind of an interesting as you said it's kind of a paradox but at the same time i can really understand where he's coming from and um also i, th I think it just has to do with how you how you apply this technique of looping as i just said if you just play the same loop for eight times um There's nothing special in there, but if you just change something up every every like other time the loop plays, it's a whole different thing altogether. If you think about it, repetition, is the same thing objectively. Like if I was to play the same melody for an hour, it's it's the same thing, okay, of course. But even then, with every new repetition, you get a new feeling. Like every time you you hear it, at least for me that is. Maybe I'm interpreting too much in there, but every time I hear the same loop again, it's It's a little different from the way I perceive it. Like you hear something else in there. You sometimes you follow the melody. Sometimes you follow follow the vertical chord structure that's yeah. happening. Sometimes you just follow the rhythm. So even then, repetition can give you insight into something that you wouldn't really notice if you just listen to it one time. And yeah. you just have to know when to apply it and when not. I've actually heard that kind of explanation applied to viewing films again um, because. Uh, there was film critic was basically saying like, yeah, the film is the same, but you're not the same. And yeah. so viewing it again can be a new experience. And for everyone who wants to try that out, there is a, um, a release called the disintegration loops. Um, I think I've talked about this before on the show where somebody had those old magnetic tapes of loops of some ambient or synth like loops and just played them over and over again for almost an hour while the tape slowly disintegrates through yeah through the playback process um because we're dealing with analog here with 
regular old tape. It's some t at some point you're just going to lose the signal. And I remember when I got those played to me on the last FM radio, I was really listening to them the whole way through. I didn't even um, like I didn't even question it. I just listened to it like for an hour and then, oh, th th there was a cool like evolution of sound. Even though you were listening to the same thing, to the same <laughs> four second loop for an hour, it didn't drive me nuts. And I don't know, maybe that's just me. Maybe I have this crazy um, sense of listening to the same thing over and over again. Um, but I think there is some something in there. Like just just give it a listen at least for a few minutes or just skip through to, to see the effect that's happening. But I, f I, f I find it really relaxing sometimes. And one of my fond memories growing up back when cassettes were a thing was uh, I would sit and uh, rewind to my favorite parts of a song over and over. And this was very painful back then. But, you know, I didn't know there, there would be a better way, so it wasn't a big deal. Um, but, yeah, you, you know, the, rep the repetition of music, I think that's why I'm a musician, because I do have that appetite and ability to just sit and hear something over and over. And, you know, to be fair, you know, even if your song isn't repetitive, when you're creating it and mixing it, you are going to hear it hundreds of times. And, uh, you know, you might burn out a little bit, but eventually, you know, if you're really a musician, you'll probably come back to it and, and be able to check it out again. Um, though I do yeah. hear a lot of musicians that are like, after I make a record, I just can't, I just can't listen to it. Um, like there's this, like, I gave birth to it and now I never want to see it again kind of vibe I hear from some musicians. And I don't have that. Maybe I'm a narcissist. I don't know, but, um, I, I don't struggle to go and check out old stuff. Um, go back to it and see like, oh, I made this 10 years ago. Is it still any good? Is there anything good about it? Um, usually there's, there's something good about it, you know, that that's in there. Even if it's like, oh, the production sucks or, oh, I didn't quite deliver on this or that. There's usually like, oh, that's why I made that. Cause there's that little nugget in there of something good. Yeah. And in the end, I mean, we make music or like we, we make the kind of music that we enjoy ourselves. So why shouldn't we listen to it? Like th there's sometimes this discussion on Internet forums like, guys, do you listen to your own music? And I got to say, of course I do. I mean, that's the music that I want to hear because I'm making this music. Now I'm not playing my own stuff all day long. But um, right now I'm in a phase again where I can really, really easily fall asleep listening to letters. I've got a playlist of half of the songs and they're like, not the one that are really hard with distorted guitars and all that, but I can really fall asleep to that album because I know it inside out. I know it sounds pleasant to my ears. I can just pop it on by the third song. I'm, I'm, I've, I've fell asleep and, uh, not saying that it's boring. It's just, uh, it's just pleasant to listen to. And the fact that I know it just makes it easy. That's another uh, stereotype. Like being able to fall asleep to music doesn't mean it's bad music. Yeah. <laughs> Not every kind of music should command, like should make you like super alert and listening yeah. intently. It just says that it's relaxing and relaxing music is something people aim for sometimes. I, I do like this other quote down here. Uh, when you've played the guitar fretboard for years and years, you develop habits and muscle memory. You start to repeat yourself. Through technology, you can find yourself in a new place again. And I think that's a, definitely a musical theme. And that, that's why I switch instruments as often as possible, because I get sick of the same patterns that just come out. And I, I need a new, a foreign context. Um, piano seems to be one of the most, uh, you know, evergreen places to go because every single note is equally accessible. It's not, um, 
on guitar, I find certain shapes just keep happening. But um, yeah. yeah, finding a way to, to get to new places in music is really important, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, this, this was one of the reasons, as I said a few episodes back, why I tune my guitar differently now, because as you were just saying, I'm always going back to the same patterns. And so now I've got more freedom. I just have to learn it. Like I, I have to, I really have to learn the guitar again now that I've got it tuned differently. And yes, most of the time I also go back to the keyboard. Sometimes I do some, some crazy stuff like in Ableton. I, I once, like emulated uh, like notes in the way that I just automated an effect and tuning like one of the dials just exactly to one note and then tuning it to the next note and playing like melodies with the dial of an effect. Um, it took me about an hour to get the melody in there, but in the end it sounded, sounded great. And the thing is, I don't think I would have gotten to this melody if I had just played it or had tried to play it on the keyboard. This is just a melody that, that, um, was created by the process and not like, okay, I've got this melody now, I got to implement it like this. So sometimes even even like doing this um, crazy walk around the thing you are trying to do is just the thing that you have to do to, to get this brilliant idea. Right on. So we've got a new segment that we hope will be a long-running segment um, in bits and pieces where we're going to explain common effects and processing used in production and give some examples. And uh, um, I think especially newbies, but actually I think I have a lot to learn because um, there's there's plenty of effects where I've played around with them, but I don't really understand their history or where they came from or how they work. And so I actually look forward to, you know, whether I'm leading this segment or not uh, learning through it. Um, so you want to bring in our first one and you actually came up yeah. with a name for this segment. Yeah, I, I just thought we could call it FX Plane. And um, today I, I was going to lead with with the compressor, but as you said in the, before the show, it's kind of a difficult topic to explain a compressor and also to really hear the subtleties of a compressor. So I thought I would go for something not as subtle. And um, we talked about the flanger in, in uh, when we discussed the hair device. Uh, like nobody would put a flanger on real life. <laughs> and I, I, during the editing, I put a little bit of flanger on my voice during that part. But as I did this, I, I noticed that when we're talking about this, like everybody already knows what a flanger is, but probably not a, not a lot of people know what a flanger is, or maybe they've heard the name, but don't really, can't, can't really fix it and like say like this is the sound. So we're just going to go through a few effects. And um, every episode and explain like, what do they sound like? How do you implement them? Why, when should you use them? And when should you probably not use them? And <laughs> some, something like that. Not really going to delve too much into the technical aspects if it's, uh, if it's not needed. Um, in this case, so I, I grouped together like the, the chorus, the flanger and the phaser because they all for me are like a, a group of effects. They work pretty similarly, but they have some differences that kind of thing. And I thought we should, um, start with the chorus because it's like the mostly used one and also the easiest to explain. So, um, to, to help me explain this, I've got my keyboard set up here. So we've got here a regular old synth pad. So there's nothing special on it. It sounds, it sounds a little bit weak. There's no reverb. I try to, to, um, get everything out of it that's like subtly detuned or something. So I don't have a natural chorus effect in there already. So we've now got this simple synthesizer sound. And now I'm going to switch on the chorus here while I'm playing it. So as you can hear, it, 
already like spreads into the stereo field. So if you're listening to this on on speakers or like on the headphones and you actually got stereo speakers, you can hear how how it's spreading apart. So how this works is basically just um it it mixes the signal with a pitch shifted version of itself. So imagine like you're singing in a choir. Um there are five people singing. Not all of you are going to hit the perfect frequency. Someone is going to be a little bit sharp. Somebody is going to be a little bit flat. So, but the mix of those, if they're not too far apart, that's, that's what the chorus effect, uh, is. Mm -hmm. So you get like a fat sound. Like all of these three effects are usually used to make something fatter. Yeah. Or and, make it um, pop out of a mix. Yeah. So, uh, as I described earlier, this synth sound on its own is pretty weak, but with the chorus effect, suddenly it, it gets real big. So now I can make it more drastic. I can shift it a little bit slower and now you can see like it, it gets into a vibrato effect pretty quickly. Yeah, you're in alien territory. Yeah, so th this is just the case of the pitch shifting going too much up and too much down. Like you're losing the actual note that you're trying to play. And so this, this is what happens when yeah. you make it too strong. Um, and uh, for some context, um, chorus... It, in popular music has often been used on guitars. And so these, you know, you're applying it to a synth, but some of the most famous examples that I, I put in our notes here, we can share. Um, Nirvana's Come As You Are has a very, very super prominent chorus on the guitar. If you listen right before the super loud chorus, that is when you can really hear it. And it's like, you know, as 90s and alternative as you can get is, I think, of this song and uh, especially its use of chorus. And I think an entire generation of like slacker grunge kids in the 90s <laughs> um, bought some chorus pedals because of Nirvana, I'm sure. And, uh, yeah. you know, another example more in the 80s would be the police with their message in a bottle. Um, uh, they used a lot of chorus on the album that song comes from. So um, we don't uh, maybe you could work in a little sample of Nirvana. Um, into the, the final edit here just to hear yeah. some of that chorus. And also chorus is usually used if you're, um, if you like to fatten up the vocals. So most of the time when you're recording vocals, you're double tracking them or triple tracking them. You're recording them a few times. So you've got like your own background vocals. Now, if you're playing live, you can't do that easily. You can't just duplicate yourself. So usually that's one of the use cases where you can actually also use a chorus on the vocals. Like I, I like to use it on my vocals live. Just let's get a little bit fatter. Um, <laughs> then, then the next up, we've, I decided to go first with the flanger because the flanger from the technical perspective is a little bit easier to explain. So while the chorus mixes the signal with a pitch shifted version of itself, the flanger actually mixes the signal with a slightly delayed version of itself. So as you are slightly delaying it, like going back and forth, you're, um, Im imagine you're standing in, on a train that's moving and you're always making a step forward and going back again, making a step backward and going back to your, your original place again. Like in the context of the train, you're always moving a little bit fa faster and a little bit slower again. And this is what's happening here with the flanger. And um, the effect that happens with this, we can instead of explaining it just here uh, in this example again so again the same effect and there's the flanger going to make it a little bit more obvious so this is always really drastic right now I wouldn't use it that much but the same thing happens here it gets fatter, it gets wider it gets a little bit more punch and um, especially for synth pads it's a really great effect 
Yeah. And some people like to use it on guitar. I personally find it very cheesy on guitar. Like the chorus <laughs> is almost very cheesy uh, in, in some situations. But a flanger, I think as soon as you can hear it, it's pretty cheesy from the beginning. Is it is it like makeup? You're not supposed to notice it? <laughs> yeah, right. And and with the flanger, I, I think uh, on the guitar, I would al- al- always go with the chorus. But I mean, that's, that's so personal So the taste context, there. again, that I probably this speaks more to just when I was born and when I started listening to music. But um, flanger was on guitar a lot in the music I heard. And it was mainly used as a you know, not a subtle thing. It was meant to be like completely mess up on purpose, the sound of the <laughs> guitar. And I don't know if I have a good example. Um, I, I found an example that I wasn't personally familiar with, was, you know, Tears for Fears had a song called Head Over Heels. And there's a Van Halen song where there's flanger applied to like a Wurlitzer. Um, but, um, yeah, nothing's coming to mind as, as to what I heard. But um, yeah, flanger to me has always been kind of the like, I'm going to get down on the ground and mess with my pedal and make <laughs> something really screwed up sounding on purpose Yeah, kind of pedal, at least for guitar. Yeah, that just reminded me, I think there was a Guar song that prominently features a, a flanger on the guitar, like an older song. I think it's Salamonizer. I'm going to find it and then play either that or Tears of Fears, yeah. So then we got the phaser. The phaser is a little bit difficult to explain. So it, it functions kind of like the flanger, but then again in a different way. Um, so while at the, with the flanger, we mix the whole signal with the slightly delayed version of the whole signal again. Um, this time what's happening here is that um, with the flanger, we, we mix the signal with um, the same signal where only certain frequencies are shifted by a certain amount so that means while with the flanger the whole signal is shifted and and phase shifted um here it's just that with every single frequency is moving about so let's just go back to the analogy with the train again like now it's five people standing next to each other on the train you're not all moving forwards and backwards at the same time but at different um, intervals. So <laughs> was that already clear? I don't know. Can you help me with that? <laughs> um, it's really hard to I explain. I think you got it with like parts of the signal are being shifted, but not the entire yeah. signal, whereas flanger's kind of yeah. everything. Right. And the way we divide into these parts is by the frequencies. And um, so what happens there is that the effect sounds almost like the flanger, but some people um, describe the flanger as a more natural sound, while the phaser is more an artificial sound. So. And I know you're going to play an example, but uh, the way I'd explain it too, I often hear phasers, you, you hear like a sweeping up and down in, the, in the, the thing you're listening to, or something that gets brighter and then duller yeah. because you're losing or gaining high frequencies and so forth. That's especially the thing we're going to hear that how the sound gets really dull or really bright, where with the flanger it stayed somehow at the same uh, at the same timbre. So once again, the same chord, the same sound. So we lost a little bit there. I'm going to make it a little more dull, and now I'm opening it up. So especially this part right here sounds really artificial. So this is the part where I can really agree that this is not naturally sounding. 
It almost sounds like a wah pedal at some parts. Yeah. So, and this is really the frequencies moving up and down, uh, like which, which frequency is now the most pronounced. Yeah. And, uh, an, a famous current example would be pretty much everything Tame Impala does. So I've included a link <laughs> to, you know, one of their songs that yeah. starts right off the bat with phaser on a guitar and it's, you can hear it sweeping up and down on the guitar. Um, there, that kind of psychedelic rock love some phaser sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, so, and, and as we said, when it comes to use, it, it's mostly a personal taste, while some effects lend themselves to certain sounds. But, um, the thing is that at, I would say 99% of the times you wouldn't use such an effect on the whole track. And to show you why, I've prepared this little loop right here, and I'm going to, to, to fade those effects in and out. And you will hear that it sounds pretty cool, but now imagine like the whole song being like this. So this is the loop, and I'm first going to start with the chorus now. So it spreads apart, it's getting wider, now I'm almost in the vibrato territory again. So it sounds cool for a moment, but now imagine like five minutes of that wouldn't really work. And the same thing with the flanger. And especially here, listen to the percussion. So as you can hear, like especially on the, on the drums, sounding. I think, yeah, it sounds really nice. So on the drums, you can really just throw a flange on there. It, all, it always sounds cool. Not for the whole track, but for some parts. And last but not least, the phaser. Really drastic. Really hotline Miami. <laughs> yeah. Once again, the, the drums are really what the instrument that I'm getting the most from this. So, this is our little showcase of our three effects, chorus, flanger, and phaser. So, um, if you want to play around with this a little bit, you can find um, almost any DAW today has a trial version or something um, like I, I've like uh, right here I'm using Ableton so these were like the stock chorus effect the stock phaser effect and just with the flanger I went with guitar rig because I like the flanger more in there mm -hmm. um, but this is just something play around with it get to know how it sounds and especially if you're listening to music like if you notice that there, this might be an effect try to find out which one it is and how how much it has been used like is it really subtle or is it really in your face um it's just it's sharp it's sharp and serious so you really get used to this and build it into your own repertoire when you're when you're producing yeah and i think of it yeah just like you're saying it's a repertoire of like you may already have been working with like the the, the high pitch low pitch like the dynamic um spread of frequencies or the volume or um, panning things left to right. And then later you go, well, what are some other like dimensions I can differentiate things on? And um, effects are one way. And, uh, you know, they, they, they aren't really foundational, I would say, but they're kind of some of the, the magic you can sprinkle on towards the end of your process um, to, to really draw something out. Yep. Uh, so a good song really works without effects, but effects it's effects are the things that really make it shine in the end. Yeah, though I mean I do think there are some songs that are just so dependent on their amazing use of an effect <laughs> that it would be pretty unremarkable without it. Um, yeah. Nothing's coming to mind. Maybe that'll be a, a, something to look into. I guess most of dubstep. <laughs> yeah, as songs, they they're not very interesting. <laughs> 
And with that, we should jump into our picks of the week. So do you want to get, go ahead first so we can get the tears out of the way <laughs> and the emotional crushing story? Just just start. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to get some tissues. So my pick of the week is a Young Galaxy and a song called Sleepwalk With Me. And uh, this song is, uh, you know, it's it's kind of synthy, electronic based. It's got lots of interesting little noises. But uh, the real the real reason I was drawn to this is uh, kind of the story behind the song. And uh, this this song was inspired by um, a famous letter in the fifties um, from a uh, World War II veteran who had uh, met another soldier, and uh, they they kind of fell in love and shared some time together in war. Um, they were in the North Africa uh, part of World War II. And uh, so the, the famous part of this is the they got separated after the war and they, they, they were no longer in contact anymore. And uh, the one of the GIs wrote a letter and uh, it's a very heartbreakingly wonderful letter. <laughs> and um, this song is kind of celebrating um, that that transient love that's kind of kind of been broken and lost but that uh, was was very powerful at, at the time and uh, there's a lovely little animated video and it's a very sentimental song and uh, um, let's just hear some of it So what did you think of this song? Um, yeah, well, I think you just tried to make me cry there. <laughs> and um, well, but, but the song itself, um, I, I jokingly put here in our, in our document that stuff like this is the, the reason why we should rightfully be called hipsters. <laughs> so like the first five seconds, this is just indie to the max. And, uh, yeah, you said here, it's like, they, they describe themselves as a Canadian indie pop dream pop band. <laughs> and dream pop is also such a phrase. Um, how, how do you really define dream pop? I, I've, I've heard that so many times, but what is dream pop? Is it, do I have to use a lot of reverb to be dream pop? Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm you want to float away with it? <laughs> yeah. I'm just seeing like one of the gig posters that we have here where we played at the Indietronic party with the Astray also says Dream Pop, post-punk, electro-rock and indie pop. So <laughs> apparently I've played a Dream Pop show. Um, <laughs> maybe I'm Dream Pop. I just, I just don't know. Um, but no, it's it's a magnificent song. And um, the, the mood and the atmosphere, while it's a, such a melancholy topic, uh, like from, from the lyrics-wise and what they're trying to, to play on there... Um, I think it's a sound for all, a song for all occasions. Like I, this is one of those songs would, where I can imagine, like in any situation, I could be listening to that song. And every, every time, I would take something else away from it. But um, sometimes it can support my happiness, and sometimes it can support my sadness. Yeah, um, it's just it just fits everywhere. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is melancholy, but it is a celebration at the same time. And uh, I, yeah. I really the the part that draws me in is the part that should is the the chorus when uh, her, she really lets her voice rise up and there's there's some harmony and the the song kind of draws you in um, really well there. So what was your pick of the week? 
My pick of the week is the song Hazy by Vine. Um, this is not the final name of the of the artist or the band, as as um, Vinny, the guy behind that song, um, has said on, uh, on on YouTube. A little background information. So this is the guy who is kind of famous on YouTube for streaming video game corruptions. Like you might have seen some of those where he just corrupts the hell out of Super Nintendo or Nintendo 64 games or PlayStation or whatever. And it's, it's just fun to watch. It's, it's amazing. It has, a, has really a lot of humor in it. And then the thing is, I, I um, follow a lot of people on certain mediums and then I see or hear that they are making music. And usually the case is that then I don't really enjoy their music because chances <laughs> are when some random guy plays me his music, I'm pretty much probably not going to enjoy it because it's not my style it's just high probability i guess um but this is one of those cases where i listen to his stuff and i actually from the from the first note from the first guitar riff and that guitar riff is amazing i just enjoyed it and even if it's not really usually that much my style i, I think it's the same i had when i first listened to your stuff when i had like something like um um seal the deal like before that i didn't really listen to that kind of music and I, I, I kind of had this moment there again, so I'm just going to play this little sample right here. So did you get a chance to listen to the song? Yes, I did. And uh, there's just a 90s theme today. It reminded me of some 90s alternative music um, like Sebado. And this isn't me being dismissive, like, oh, it just sounds like that thing that was old. <laughs> um, even the, that progression, it sounds like a, a one and then a four minor is like kind of the basis of the verse. And, uh, th you know, that reminds me of like some, like maybe something Radiohead might have done on the bends, even though he doesn't sing like Tom York in any way, shape or form. But um, I, I enjoy this kind of, you know, guitar-driven rock music, and uh, there, there's kind of a, an, an attitude to it, but it's not, um, it's not the same as, I don't know how to explain it, but um, it's just that 90s alternative vibe. He, you know, he's, he's complaining, he's, he's expressing something, but it's uh, um, from that, that kind of perspective. Um, I also noticed this came out like eight days ago as we're recording, um, that's true <laughs> nine days ago maybe um, so super new fresh fresh cuts yeah we got the fresh cuts <laughs> not the deep cuts <laughs> although everything we play is pretty are pretty deep cuts anyway because we're hipsters <laughs> but yeah um, check check this guy's music out uh, it's all on Bandcamp it's the regular Bandcamp deal where everything's more or less free unless you want to pay for it so um, yeah great and as always, um, when we have the chance to put those into our playlists, we, you can find all of those in our Spotify and Apple Music playlist if you actually find it on Apple Music <laughs> through all this UI garbage. Yeah, and with that, um, that's been episode 26 of Bits and Pieces. Um, those show notes that we're always talking about, you can find those on sunriserobot.net slash bits and pieces slash 26. And while you're there, you can subscribe to, uh, subscribe to us with your favorite podcatcher on iOS. You can use the regular podcast app, which as I think, as I remember, has a pretty okay UI. <laughs> um, you can on Android use Pocket Casts or Podcast Addict. 
and we also like feedback so you can you can reach us on uh, you can reach out to us on twitter i'm at echolox e-c-h-o-l-o-x michael you are at medwards music and really we love feedback um we are on our computers pretty much all day long we're in two different time zones which makes it even more probably probable that one of us is going to respond within a few minutes and tell us like which kind of effects you want to have next time otherwise we're just going to pick what we like and um you can also support us on patreon patreon.com slash sunrise robot you can you can find some interesting ways to find us uh, to help us out there um and with that as always thanks to our special supporters bruce edwards and andreas langer we love you guys see you next week <laughs> <laughs>